the challenge, the opportunity to connect. The 1960s, a time of imagination and change, a time of anger and fear. The 1960s, a program called Challenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Looked at our connections, our divisions, through the lens of faith. Nearly 60 years later, during these challenging times, we'll take a new look at our divisions, our connections, in a new program called Challenge 2.0. Health impacts have been the most recognized cost of the COVID pandemic, but perhaps a longer-lived impact is going to be on the learning and the future of today's children. The damage depends upon where children live and go to school. In this edition of Challenge 2.0, we'll discuss the problems educators and their students face, as well as their families, and what needs to be done to recover their future possibilities. So in discussing this topic, we're very fortunate to have two very well-backgrounded people who are right in the midst of trying to cope and come up with solutions. We have Senator Claire Wilson from the 30th Legislative District and April Messenger, uh, who is uh, with the Washington State Parent Ambassadors Group. Uh, Claire and April, thank you so much for joining us today. Share a little bit about your experience with the education system and what led both of you to do the kind of work that you're doing right now? Well, you know, my first experience with the education system was becoming a mom. Um, and most importantly, uh, when my second daughter was born, I noticed a speech delay in her. Um, and I spent many years trying to get a diagnosis with pediatricians and um, was able to finally get some help uh, from our local preschool program. Um, we determined that she was 75% deaf in one ear and 25% in the other. And that was missed all the way up until she was three and a half. Um, and so with the support of that program staff and that preschool program, it really helped kickstart my advocacy um, to help other parents who were navigating systems and trying to get services for their children. Um, so that's really what brought me into this space of advocating for families and uh, children in Washington. That would be a really strong motivator. Uh, Claire, what about your background? I know you have extensive background in the educational field as well. Yeah, and you know, um, April and I met uh, in a pre-K program for the state, and so she has been uh, a model of what advocacy looks like. And I uh, am on the other end of the age spectrum from April. Uh, I, too, am a parent, but that's not really what brought me to the space. I was in the space much before that. Um, I started as a project director for WIC, which is the Women, Infants, and Children Supplemental Food Program. It's a federally funded program for pregnant and parenting women and infants birth to five. And so I started just because I had a background in nutrition. And um, from there came back to the state of Washington and I had the teen parent program for Tacoma Public Schools uh, through Bates Technical College for 10 years. And so had 11 to 21 year old pregnant and parenting adolescents. And when you think about that, an 11 year old is in fifth grade and no fifth grader should ever be a parent. And so from that point started my work in early learning um, and uh, where I was at Puget Sound ESD for 25 years working in our state-funded pre-K program, mm -hmm. then on Federal School Board for eight years, and now in the Senate uh, working on early learning K-12 issues, which are near and dear to my heart. You know, I had a very interesting conversation with a young mom uh, not that long ago, and she said, you know, we used to hear from our parents about how they'd have to traipse for miles through snowstorms, flooding, uh, windstorms, et cetera. But she said, that's absolutely nothing compared to what 
my children who are speaking right now, of course, uh, have had to endure the last month and a half. Uh, that's really true, isn't it? Any perspectives on that from uh, either of you? Uh, Claire, I might ask you first and then April. Um, the world has totally changed. And um, I think, you know, uh, one of my questions is always, how do we know our children's spirits are safe within someone's care? And Mm -hmm. And um, for the last year and a half, children have been at home. And, um, and for many, that's been a wonderful place, but they've also lacked things like social emotional support and peers and, you know, those kinds of opportunities. Um, and I think that uh, what we saw was for the first time uh, globally, uh, individuals have been impacted in ways uh, that, that we've never seen before, where it may have been because of uh, vulnerable pop being a part of a vulnerable population or having uh, less access to resource but suddenly we were in a place where even when you were resourced uh, mm -hmm. you couldn't get what you needed and I think um, so uh, so that's a whole change but I also think it's uh, an opportunity uh, maybe to make some changes and do some greater good across our state. Mm -hmm. April what about your perspectives then? I just think uh, no one can top the experience that our kids have had in the last year and a half. Uh, snowstorms uphill both ways in this, you know, in the rain and wind. Um, nothing will compare in the history books um, so far, I think. Um, and I think a lot about the social emotional supports that Senator Wilson just mentioned, um, because, you know, education is something that children can get in all sorts of ways, um, not just from a school district, but the lack of social interaction that they have been able to have the last two years or year and a half, um, the lack of mental health resources that they've had access to. Um, it's going to take us a long time to recover from um, the, the impact on our children. Uh, what stick out? What sticks out in your mind as the major problems that kids have had to face over the last now year and a half? Wow. Um, you know, it's interesting. Some uh, young people have uh, not been able to fulfill or feel like they've um, gotten any education that the uh, virtual learning space in that environment uh, was not a, a way for them nor a place for them uh, where they felt like they could learn. And families were ill-equipped uh, oftentimes to be able to support that. Um, and on the flip side, I will say there are other scholars uh, across our state who felt like they were much safer in a virtual environment. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you know, really thrived. Um, and so, I mean, just not only how you learn, but the connectivity, the issues around um, all our lives, our work has been to bring children into school. And this is the first time we had to figure out how to bring school to children right. in ways where we've never done that before. And that um, when school shut down, I think there was this incredible realization that school was the care setting for hundreds of thousands of children across our state. And so um, for parents, that I think there was a huge concern about learning loss. Mm -hmm. um, and I will just say what I would say to every parent when I would talk to them is, um, did your child, does your child have a place to sleep? Do you have enough food for them to eat? Do you have books in your home for them to read? And do you mm -hmm. have a place for them to go outside? Because if you're worried and you're doing all of those things, then you're doing what you need to do. And as April said, your child will 
thrive and will grow. They just are learning different ways. So mm-hmm. um, I'll stop there and see what April has to say. Okay. Uh, April, what would you add to that? Uh, ditto, check mark, and exclamation point. <laughs> um, I think Claire and I often agree. Many uh, things are just we're on the same page with a lot of things. I think in my own home, um, I had one child who did amazing at online learning and one child who really, really struggled. Mm -hmm. Um, I have four kids that are school age and um, the range of um, emotions that I saw in them um, from feeling like a success to a failure, um, from struggling, you know, I have a, a daughter who um, really had a hard time with um, being bullied in school. Um, and so not being in the classroom, her grades um, improved because she didn't have that extra stress. So I think, you know, Senator Wilson alluded to the vast um, you know, spread of experiences that our children have had. And um, I just think that, uh, it's just really, it's going to impact them for the rest of their lives. Now, you're both very well plugged in to the education system, the people that are in the classrooms, the administrators, that sort of thing. What is your sense uh, of how these impacts are lingering now that they're back in the classroom and persist uh, as they go through, say, this school year, or maybe even the next one? Uh, Claire, I might ask you to address that first. Well, top of mind, uh, transportation and staff shortages. Uh, we have heard first time ever uh, school districts shutting down um, for they have not enough teachers, nor do they have a sub pool to draw from. Mm-hmm. Uh, school bus drivers, um, how many districts have had to cut and stop routes where um, they've continued to try to meet the needs of special ed and vulnerable kids and children that don't have access to other forms of getting to school. However, that's hugely a problem. I think about food um, and I think about the scarcity of food and hearing from um, food service and thinking about institutional food and um, lack of access and right now issues around supply chain and how that also impacts our children. Um, And I think the other thing top of mind is we have families um, who have made perhaps decisions not to put their children back into school. So we're seeing a decrease in enrollment. And when you think about how we fund education, Mm -hmm. decreases in enrollment mean decrease in dollars, which means we have less resource at a very time when we need more. Um, And I guess the only other thing I would say is we need to continue to focus on the academics, but we have got to make sure we attend to the, what I say, the padding around that. And that's that social, emotional support, mental health, behavioral health support for we have children that have been out of school basically for two years and we're hearing a lot of needs that um, educators have for additional supports to make sure we're meeting the needs of young people in the context of classrooms and in the um, context of school to help Mm -hmm. them be successful. April, what have you heard? Um, so much. Um, and I, I, this question I thought about a lot this morning, um, because I have a, a child who was in fourth grade when this began, um, and now is in sixth grade. And then I had two who were in seventh that are now in ninth grade. Um, and that's a huge 
change in uh, the system that they were in, right? One was in an elementary school um, and now is in middle school navigating six periods a day. Um, and there was no transition period like you normally get from fifth grade to sixth grade. Mm -hmm. um, so no expectation or understanding of what was gonna be expected upon his return to the classroom. Um, and again, for my two ninth graders now, um, they were in middle school and now they're in high school with expectations of graduation rates and GPAs really matter. And um, seventh grade was a long time ago. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I really think that that those those gaps that we have um, and that we're seeing in them um, it's a struggle. It's it's stressful, right? Um, there's still the expectation of having to get a certain GPA to get into college. Our school systems haven't adjusted to the pandemic and what that has done. Some of them have, and and there have been you know some things put in place to to support graduation rates and and eliminate some testing requirements. You brought up the points of the impact that you observe in your own family in terms of different grade levels. And Senator Wilson, I'd ask you. Uh, there must be variation in terms of the major challenges that uh, students at different levels, different grade levels are facing. Well, it, it is so interesting because much like, uh, you know, April talked about transitions and what we know is that's when we lose children and that's when we lose families. So between early learning programs, for example, into elementary, from elementary into middle or junior high and from into high school. And so um, you know, was on a converse, um, on a call, Zoom call with a with the president of UW. You know, they have two freshman class right now. They right. have a senior class that never really was a senior class and is now a sophomore. And then they have the senior class that wasn't really a senior class that's now freshman. And so again, in every single level, and and we have to address those things. But I also think when we think about giving ourselves grace, this is a blip in our entire world, we will mm -hmm. see um, just changes. The We've been talking about the impact on different grade levels. And I think the other way of looking at it is uh, we, of course, have many different school districts throughout the state. Uh, has the impact or is the impact the same on all of those? Or do we see a lot of variation there as well? It, it is. There are themes that exist, but there's also, um, you know, I've when I think about things, I've been looking more about um, what enrollment drops have been. We've seen a lot um, of districts, but different districts that have seen a reduction in kindergarten enrollment, for example, mm -hmm. and families making a decision not to bring their children in. Um, we see variations in um, families still wanting to choose a hybrid model. And um, what what was uh, became a for some, a very comfortable way of receiving education. Mm -hmm. Districts had to make a decision whether they were going to continue to do that or not. And so um, some districts have decided they're not going to continue to do that. And so have made the, an expectation to have children come back in. And so they may have lost, um, you know, children that way. Um, mm. There's just, you know, there's, my brain is spinning because there's just, there's so many impacts. We have 295 school districts that um, have local control in many ways. And, um, and so what we're seeing, there are themes across all, um, but I think they're based on geography, based on size, based on access to resource, 
um, how it impacts them is different. But uh, the biggest concern for them is that they remain whole to be able to provide what they know they need to provide for children. And it doesn't necessarily matter the number of kids, the quality still needs to be there for all children who are in their care. Mm -hmm. April, any perceptions or points that you'd like to make on that? I just think, um, you know, Senator Wilson mentioned like geography and things like that. Um, our schools who have uh, a higher amount of children in poverty that they are serving that have higher needs, um, it's gonna be an even harder time for them to, to recoup from that and to provide the children the support that they need. Um, you see you know, schools that have uh, great community levies in place that offset some costs um, versus just what the state receives from you know, regular funding. Um, and it's gonna be easier for them, right? Mm -hmm. and, and in a lot of, in a lot of ways, um, you know, you have families who are able to chip in and, and help support their families. They can hire nannies and tutors um, to help recoup some of what the kids have lost. And then you have families that still don't have internet access. Mm -hmm. um, so even when you're, you know, back to school right now um, and you have an exposure to COVID and have to stay home for two weeks and you don't have access to internet, um, but are still expected to, to do your homework, um, it, it's just, it's, it's not equitable. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not going to be an equitable recovery unless we do something different. And in many cases, that seems that that's going to lead to even uh, more of a spectrum uh, where those that have the resources are going to advance further and those that were somewhat challenged in finding resources are going to fall further behind. Uh, I guess there are different ways we could go at this, but I guess uh, to help equalize that, uh, recognizing there's talent and there's potential in students, young people all throughout the state, what needs to happen? And I guess, uh, Senator Wilson, I might begin with you because you're in the legislature in the state Senate. What efforts are there to try to address that? Well, you know, our... Um... We have a couple of things. One is the funding formulas that um, um, currently were, um, when we think about staffing models, for example, and you have one nurse for 19 schools. Well, when we think about COVID, for heaven's sakes, yeah. um, uh, one nurse for 19 schools, which is the prototypical funding model, that's what it says, um, it doesn't even begin. And of course that was created before um, and it was already not meeting needs. And as we move that forward, so really having to think about investments. And as I talked about, when we have decreased enrollment and the enrollment, the money comes from enrollment, uh, the conversation is how do we maintain uh, district wholeness so they can continue to serve when everything is formula funded. Um, and mm -hmm. so that is, you know, a huge, um, a huge issue. So. Um, you know, that that whole idea of funding is um, is critical and it's crucial. And um, as April uh, alluded to, when we think about our levies, uh, there's inequities um, in that. And I know in my own uh, school district that um, is a lot of the 30th hour, it's called the regionalization factor. But what uh, what happens is all the districts around us are able to gather more dollars than we are. And we're a poverty up. Uh, property poor district. Mm -hmm. So we, we never have enough uh, ability to get as many dollars. So we've got to think equitably 
We also have to look at geography um, as when we think about internet, you know, it isn't even that it's first mile, last mile, it's much bigger than just the school district and the school systems. It's how uh, we are gonna create connectivity to all citizens and mm -hmm. individuals who live, reside within the state. So we have other systems that need to be um, fixed and considered as well. But you know, funding is always a huge thing. And then transportation, again, we need to relook at transportation funding because what we've seen is districts um, having to almost consider not transporting. And we cannot do that because in order to get our most vulnerable children and families the service they need, especially again, as we think geography, you know, those are critically important. And just the ongoing supports for students um, outside of their academic needs, we have to think about how we're funding those things. And the last thing I'll say is I am a proponent of cross-system, cross-sector partnerships. So the districts don't have to do this all alone. So the other thing that is critically important is creating those partnerships with our community organizations for families can leave a school building, but many times they'll remain in a community. And it's so important mm. for individuals to know the resources that exist. And my hope would be the schools are the vibrant place uh, where families might access it, but that um, we need to come together and to create a web of support, if you will, for families inside the schools and outside the schools. What positives were there that came out of this that we might want to develop a hybrid system? Let's say the money is there, the will is there. What might we want to do? And April, I know you had some personal experience in your household with that. I'd let you start with that first. Um, yeah, we can do it right? We, we've, we've shown that it can be done and it looks different in different models across the state, but um, there's access to be able to do a hybrid, to, to be able to do a hybrid model. Um, you know, I, like I mentioned, I had one child who did amazing with online and I had others who did not do so well. Um, but as we're returning back and, and we see the way that children can um, navigate, right? We, we live in a technology, technological world right now. Everything is on an app or uh, on a, a tablet or a, an electronic device of some sort. And our kids know how to navigate those. So our schools need to adapt and be able to, to offer different modalities of learning because children don't always learn sitting down in a classroom for six hours a day. Mm -hmm. I know I have one child who cannot focus um, and when he's able to move around at home and um, do things at his own pace, um, his learning is better, his mood is better, um, his everything is better. And, mm -hmm. and so we really need to reimagine what our school and education system looks like overall, because it's not built to meet the needs of the child. It's built to meet the needs of the adults in the systems and the and the parents who need care for those children most you know nine times out of ten during the day right it's a it's a lack of what to do um but i, I really think we're in a an amazing spot to be able to look and say here's what we've been doing this hasn't been working here's what we can do here's what we we know didn't work and what did work um and i I cannot go without saying, um, making sure that all of our children have access to early childhood education, um, because 
I read a quote this morning and I'm actually going to pull it up because I, I don't want to get it wrong. Um, but there are currently in the state of Washington, 10,122 children ages three to five with disabilities who have an IEP and only 2000 of them are being served in a program. Mm -hmm. And if we can help identify some of the needs and the supports that children need at a young age and grow with them to imagine what they need to get on that path to success or that path to college or that path to just independency, um, it works in early childhood. We've, we've set the stage for how to engage families and how to meet the, the needs of the families and the children. Um, we need to look at what that how we can add those things into the K-12 system and really look at the whole family and the whole child, not, you know, graduation rates for a school district, in my opinion. I think in addition to that, um, you know, Claire and I are both uh, white women sitting here sharing our experiences mm -hmm. with you. Um, and the, the schools, as they reimagine what this looks like, really need to bring in true representatives of what the makeup of their school districts are. Mm -hmm. um, they need to have families at the table and that's not at a meeting at one o'clock in the afternoon. That's meeting families where they are at and asking, what do you need? Um, what worked for you? What didn't work for you? Because a bunch of people sitting in a room making policies and procedures um, without having that lived experience isn't gonna change anything. Well, I can see we need to do a follow-up, and that is, how do we reimagine education and support teachers and support families? So I hope you'll both join us again for another program at a future date. Uh, this has been a wonderful discussion, and I thank you very much. And I'd also thank all of you out there and hope you'll join us for the next edition of Challenge 2.0. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this program, found our conversations to be informative, entertaining and thought-provoking, and the vision inspiring of people from different backgrounds who can disagree without being disagreeable, perhaps you might consider supporting our program with a contribution. Your support will not only help our program continue, it will also support the broader efforts of Paths to Understanding, our supporting parent nonprofit organization.